Hello and welcome to Peaceful at Heart. My name is Cedric Martin and I'll be your host. Each episode, we're going to take a closer look at the book, Peaceful at Heart, Anabaptist Reflections on Healthy Masculinity. We'll dive into the chapters, hear from the authors, and think a little bit more about what healthy masculinity might look like in our modern context. Joining us today is Hyung Jin Kim Sun, or Pablo. Uh, welcome and, and thanks for your work on the book so that we can discuss it today. How are you doing? I am doing well, and it is a huge privilege and honor to be part of this interview. Thank you for reaching out. I'm excited for this. Um, I am uh, doing well today is Monday. I was able to rest pretty well on Sunday and feel with energy to start a new week. That's great. I'm really, really glad to hear it and glad that you're here. Uh, Pablo, I understand that you've recently started a new job. Could you tell us what that is and what you'll be doing? Sure. Um, so uh, the title of my job is Senior Leader for Anti-Racism, uh, working for Kine um, Christian Reformed Church in North America. But I'll be more focusing on the Canadian context. And so in a nutshell, it is helping the denomination to become a more anti-racist and intercultural church. But of course, this kind of work cannot be done by one expert or one leader. It is, should be done by everyone. So the way how I'm trying to focus uh, with the work is creating a BIPOC community within the uh, Christian Reformed Church, a BIPOC meaning a Black, Indigenous, and people of color. Um, they, are the, they are the one who will be leading the church to become more anti-racist and be informed and be in communication with this advisory committee. I'll be working on a specific task like changing policies. Um, what can we do better in the hiring processes? Uh, what church culture and structures need to be changed? So I'll be focusing on that and bringing, seeking toward uh, individual, but also systemic and cultural transformation and as well as theological transformation as well. That sounds amazing. I'm, I'm really excited to, to follow this uh, new job that you're gonna be starting, so keep me posted. Thank you. The only down part is that uh, it's not a Mennonite denomination office, so <laughs> but still, it is something that I'm passionate about. We're, we're willing to share you, Pablo, that's all right. Yeah. Uh, Pablo, I, I really appreciated your chapter and your perspective on, on healthy masculinity. I appreciated the writings around Asian North Americans being bicultural people. What changes do you think we need to make North America a good home for those with bi, tri, or multicultural backgrounds? Yes. Well, I could say I could provide several answers, but fundamentally, I think it's important to be first of all aware of how complex and complicated are the identity of tri or bicultural. Sometimes people call it a third culture kids, um, people from all these different cultures, and they are creating a new type of culture within themselves. And so just being aware about the complex situation and 
being able to empathize with them and understanding that um, compared to other people who have just been born and raised in one cultural context, these people are navigating with several cultural values and norms. And sometimes they are in a conflicting zones. And it takes a lot of thinking and reflecting to be done. And so sometimes it takes longer for them in their identity formation. And so just understanding that, being patient, knowing that sometimes this person can say one thing, but the other time could say another thing, uh, to comprehend, understand that, because this person is navigating uh, different poles of cultural values. And just understanding that is the fundamental point of starting. And of course, creating their own space to dialogue um, also, I think it will be very helpful if the society or communities uh, could connect uh, this younger generation with people who have already this tri- and bicultural identities and hearing the experiences and hearing the stories and how they were able to arrive into a healthy understanding of their identity will be very important. Yeah, absolutely. Pablo, I learned a lot from your, your section on, on military culture in South Korea. What happens when masculinity and militarism are so closely linked? Yes, um, as, you, as you can see on this chapter, I focus more in a Korean context. And in a Korean context, uh, the military projects a certain type of masculinity. For example, uh, it should be someone who are a bodily and physically healthy person. By selecting that, they are disregarding other uh, people with disability or people who are physically uh, weak, uh, not seeing them as masculine enough. Also, uh, they're, they are projecting an ideology of this manhood that they should um, comply to the command of the superiors. Also, um, they are justifying the use of violence and, and creating this, this spirit of competition. And um, in order to be violent, uh, you have to also be not in touch with your emotion. And so detaching yourself from your emotion and just focusing on that, you're creating a very destructive and violent image of manhood. And that is uh, some, a partial result of this integration of manhood and the military culture in South Korea. And that ideology is so embedded in, in the drama, in the stories, uh, in their uh, K-drama. I don't know if you like watching K-drama. Also, um, in literature and understanding of nation and nationhood, it's just all entangled together. And so it's, um, it is very, it was very necessary for me to name that so that people could start unlearning and disentangling from this understanding of military culture and manhood. Also, another thing that this integration of military and masculinity 
uh, can bring is that you should be a very nationalist, a nationalist person, a patriot, or else um, you're not man enough to protect your country and your family. And it's just creating this myth based on this culture of military. Yeah, absolutely. There's there's a lot to, to untangle and a lot to unwork uh, in, in a lot of areas, but I think uh, specifically what you're talking about there, that makes a lot of sense to me. So thank you. Mm-hmm. Uh, in your list of recommendations for Asian North American men at the end of your chapter, uh, you say, uh, I recommend that we engage more in critical thinking in order to identify how we are mistreating others and name the injustices that we are experiencing. How do these recommendations play out? Do you see some men's group taking on these conversations? Yes. Um, well, um, critical thinking is important in, in, in everyone's life, but I'm bringing this understanding of critical thinking uh, in order to form a healthy uh, manhood identity, uh, particularly for the Asian North American men. And by integrating or by incorporating critical thinking, uh, as you could see in this chapter, I have pointed out some of the areas how this myth of a model minority are being played out, how we are Asians are viewed as perpetual foreigner, even though some Asian families have been here for fifth or four or fifth generation. They're they're um, generally considered as people who recently came to migrate to the U.S. or to Canada, and and also by incorporating critical thinking is helping for men to identify how they are being complicit and being part of um, oppressing a woman um, and how they are being part of patriarchy. And so all this, in order to see how they are being complicit, how they're being oppressed, I brought up this critical thinking as a way to understand all this complexity. Um, and for specifically how this can be played out, uh, I see this conversation happening among um, the Korean students who are studying at here Toronto School of Theology. Korean men who are studying theology and PhD and master degree talking about the role of women in Korean immigrant ministries and how they are being uh, neglected, how they're not being respected, and how their salary is very different from other Korean pastors, male Korean pastors. And so by having this conversation and incorporating these lenses of critical thinking, uh, it's helping this um, newer generation of potential pastors and leaders to reflect on how well they could be part of creating a better culture and better system among the Korean immigrant churches here in Canada. So that's one specific example. But of course, I'm sure there are so many other great examples out there and great conversation happening here and there. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, that that, that sounds uh, like a great place to start. So thank you, Pablo. Um, mm-hmm. I wonder what role does or can masculinity play in your faith and in the church? Yeah, this is a very interesting question. Uh, is 
a loaded question. <laughs> um, but I'll start with how this masculinity play in my faith first. Um, you know, um, human being, uh, Pablo can mean so many things. Uh, there are so many other social factors that really form my identity. And masculinity is one of those factors that are important for me in my formation of my identity and how I engage with other people. Um, so the more I learn about Jesus, the more I learn about how Jesus is has been a champion of nonviolent way about discipleship, that not only inform and influence and form my identity as Christian, but also uh, my understanding of masculinity. So even though I was not born and raised in Korea, I have been this court, this military understanding of masculinity is very deeply embedded within myself as well, because um, my parents have been exposed to that, my brothers have been exposed to that, and living and navigating in a society that has been embedded with this ideology, I'm also influenced by that, whether I under, whether that's consciously or unconsciously. And so I have to also do the process of unlearning. And by focusing on Jesus, uh, understanding of the Jesus from an Anabaptist view, from a peacemaking view, it's really um, helping me to create a better and healthier understanding of masculinity. And so before I thought that being a healthy masculine needed to be very tough, not be emotional and just be rough person. But understanding of Jesus is really shaping me to be known, to be uh, empathetic, to be in touch with your heart. Uh, expressing yourself to other, being vulnerable, trusting people, focusing on relationship. Um, I have been developing on those areas uh, through my understanding of masculinity, which is a very important part of my faith. As for the church, um, I'm not sure if I said this clearly on my chapter, but I grew up in a very violent church culture in Paraguay where physical punishment was tolerated. And so um, by having a better understanding of faith, uh, about loving one another and what it means to love one another, about uh, putting down our sword and pick up our cross, what that means to be a community of faith, a community of uh, shalom, is really helping me to understand what it means to be a healthy uh, and healthy church culture and, and system as well. So in that way, it really uh, providing me a new imagination of the church uh, and, and um, inspiring me in my work of, um, of creating the church to be a healthier church community. Absolutely. There's a lot to unpack there too, Pablo. I, I appreciated you thinking about it. There's a lot that goes into what makes up Pablo. And so I'll try to take that into what all goes into making up Cedric. Uh, Pablo, thank you very much for your time. Uh, we I've really appreciated getting this opportunity to unpack your chapter a bit. Uh, before we go, do you have any sending thoughts for us into the rest of our day? 
Yes. Uh, well, I just want to point out that um, it is very important to have this conversation on healthy masculinity, manhood, uh, from Christian perspective, especially from an Anabaptist Mennonite perspective. And this book and this chapter that I wrote is just the beginning. Uh, I don't want to say that this would give you all the answer, but it is a great point to start conversation. And of course, um, some of the readers might critique some of my points, and I welcome those critiques. And it is through those constructive construct, uh, constructive conversation and engagement that we get to learn uh, what it means to be a healthy man or manhood. So I welcome those uh, critiques uh, and that those critiques to be done in a constructive manner. And looking forward to engage in this conversation. That's great. Thank you so much, Pablo. Uh, we really appreciate your time and I hope you have a great rest of your day too. Thank you. Thank you. Peaceful at Heart was recorded in the city of Takaranto, the land covered by Treaty 13 with the Mississaugas of the Credit. This is the Dish with One Spoon territory. The Dish with One Spoon is a treaty between the Anishinaabe, Mississaugas, and Haudenosaunee that bound them to share the territory and protect the land. Subsequent indigenous nations and peoples Europeans, and all newcomers have been invited into this treaty in the spirit of peace, friendship, and respect. We all eat out of the dish, and all of us that share this territory with one spoon. We want to acknowledge the ancestral lands and waterways of the Mississaugas of the Credit, the Anishinaabek, the Chippewa, the Seneca, the Haudenosaunee, and the Wendat peoples. Takaranto is now home to many diverse First Nations, Inuit, and Métis peoples. We wish to thank them, and any other nations who cared for this land. Colonization is a continuing form of oppression, so it is important that we acknowledge the lands and digital spaces that we are holding and taking up. We remember the acknowledged and unacknowledged, recorded and unrecorded, past, present, and future. We are all treaty people. Peaceful at Heart was produced and edited by myself, Cedric Martin. It was made possible thanks to Mennonite Central Committee, Mennonite Church Eastern Canada, Be in Christ Church of Canada, Theatre of the Beat, and of course, by Mennonite Men. To find more resources, head to MennoniteMen.org.